It is time to dig deep with Stacy and Stacy, a podcast for anyone hungry for God and willing to tackle today's relevant issues with authentic conversations inspired by Holy Scripture, prayer, and devotion to the sacraments. Hosted by two Texas gals who went to the same country Baptist church as little girls, had crazy lives, and found each other again decades later as Catholic convert wives and moms. Get ready, y'all. They're fixing to get real. Hi, I'm Stacy. And I'm Stacy Tristanko, so we sometimes forget our names. <laughs> oh, ha- beautiful, beautiful. Welcome to the beautiful um, December 8th, the uh, Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Um, I love every year. Uh, I was saying the other day how I fail at putting toys in shoes, but <laughs> I don't fail. And my husband and I, neither one, don't fail at reminding our kids every December 8th that it is a holy day of obligation and that we're going to mass and um, thanks be to God. They, they never argue about that. They're always happy to go. They, they just love mother Mary and um, just want to point out because I have to tell myself every year, this is the belief that the Virgin Mary was free of original sin from the moment of her conception. So the feast of the immaculate conception is not about, Um, when Christ was conceived in her womb, um, but it was when she was conceived free of original sin, the only two sinless um, humans to ever walk the earth. Um, So we're celebrating her conception, her immaculate conception. And it's so beautiful. And so I have a question for everybody out there. If you want to send us your answer, I have always wondered this since the day I, um, converted and first learned about the Immaculate Conception. Whenever you see paintings in the Catholic Church, um, Catholic paintings of the Immaculate Conception, which there are beautiful ones. I used to collect them um, digitally because there are so many beautiful paintings of the Immaculate Conception. Those and the Assumption of Mary. So that's at the end of her life when she's assumed into heaven instead of dying. Paintings of those always have baby angels. (laughs) Hmm. Huh. And I'm like wondering why do they be, uh, I don't, I have never found an answer to that, but I do note that there's always fat little baby angels. <laughs> just want to pinch them flying oh. around her. <laughs> and, the, and of course, <laughs> angels don't have bodies, so they don't really actually look like that. But um, for some reason, the artist always did that. Have you ever noticed that Stacey? Not, not till you pointed it out. <laughs> I guess I didn't think about that because at first I'm like, oh, there's there's an answer for everything in the Catholic Church. And I'm like, oh, what is the big significance here? What does this mean? The baby angels. I bet that means something really cool. And people are like crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? So I still wonder about that, but I do love the paintings. They are beautiful. Back when I first had a blog, I every December 8th, I would do I would repost a post that I kept going of the different Immaculate Conceptions paintings um, Mm -hmm. that were available, you know, free, copy free, uh, copyright free online. uh, And I would add to it every year. So it was really neat. Anyway, happy Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Don't forget to go to Mass today. And Stacy, 
it's over to you now. Oh, I'm doing the part. I almost forgot. I'm, I'm, we're finally doing the part in the catechism on faith and science. So there, oh, we'll get to that awesome. later. Over to you, Stacey. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Well, I am so glad that we're back together today. Yes. <laughs> I hated but, that. I know it was like, it was, it was weird. So we're sorry. <laughs> we hope we don't have to do that again. No, it's okay. It's okay. All right. Well, today, um, there is actually a prayer uh, by Pope Francis on the USCCB website. And so I'm going to take, I'm going to combine that prayer, a portion of that prayer with the Immaculate Conception, uh, prayer to the Immaculate Conception. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Oh, Ma Mary, our Immaculate Mother, on your feast day, we come to you. We are in need of your immaculate gaze to rediscover the ability to look upon persons and things with respect and awareness without egotistical or hypocritical interest. We are in need of your immaculate heart to love freely without secondary aims, but seeking the good of the other with simplicity and sincerity, renouncing the masks and tricks. We are in need of your immaculate hands to caress with tenderness, to touch the flesh of Jesus in our poor, sick, and despised brethren, to raise up those who have fallen and support those who waver. We are in need of your immaculate feet to go toward those who know not how to make the first step, to walk on the paths of those who are lost, to find those who feel alone. O oh God, who by the immaculate conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary did prepare a worthy dwelling place for your Son, we beseech you that as by the foreseen death of this your Son, you did preserve her from all stain, so too you would permit us, purified through her intercession, to come unto you. Through the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, world without end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was beautiful, Stacy. Thank you and thank Pope Francis. Yes. Okay, so let's grab our cup of tea, cup of coffee, and your Bible and spend some time with the Lord today. Um, we are going to be reading the first reading today. It's in Genesis chapter 3. After the man Adam had eaten of the tree, the Lord God called to the man and asked him, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Then he asked, God asked him, who told you you were naked? You have eaten then from the tree of which I had forbidden you to eat. And the man replied, the woman whom you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree. And so I ate it. The Lord God then asked the woman, why did you do such a thing? And the woman answered, the serpent tricked me into it, so I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you shall be banned from all the animals and from all the wild creatures. On your belly shall you crawl and dirt shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. The man called his wife Eve because she became the mother of all the living. 
Oh, there are. There's so much in these scriptures. We could just focus on these few scriptures for a whole week. Yes. Um, but I just want to take, um, I just want to discuss why one of these scriptures <laughs> is in my top five favorite in the entire Bible. I'm glad you read the whole thing, though. Mm -hmm. Yes. But um, one day my daughter called me and she asked me what my favorite Bible scripture was. And I said, who told you you were naked? And she said, <laughs> really, mom, can you just pick another one? And I mean, I'm like, well, you asked and we went back and forth. And I'm oh like, my gosh. It. She goes, please pick another one. So I did. I conceded and I gave her Isaiah 26, 3, which you all know, that's another one of my favorites. He will keep him in perfect peace. His mind has stayed on him because he trusts him. But the reason that she wanted my favorite scripture was because she was going to paint it on a picture frame. <laughs> and <laughs> that wouldn't have been too good. Yeah, well, you know what she did? She put Isaiah 26, three on there. I absolutely love it. It's a picture of me and my girls. But sometimes I think if I had stuck to my guns, what a conversation starter it would have been. <laughs> for sure. A picture of you and your daughters and a caption that says, who told you her naked? That would be. <laughs> but okay. So you're probably thinking why that why? one? So when I read that, it really spoke to me. Who told you you were naked? How did you become uncovered, exposed, vulnerable, deceived? I think about Adam and Eve and when they must have realized what they had done, how Eve must have felt. You know, the enemy makes us feel so stupid for not doing the wrong thing. And then he condemns us for doing it. And I know we can all relate to, you know, that bad choice, that that fall. We've all done it. We've all made a bad cho choice and fallen short of the glory of God. And we can relate to hearing that voice that's speaking to us and saying, you know, everybody else is doing it. It's not that big a deal. Don't be such a wimp. The pressure to take a bite of the forbidden fruit, whatever our fruit has been. It looks different for each of us. But to me, it wasn't like God was asking, who have you been hanging out with? Or who have you been listening to? Or who have you been talking to? I felt like God was asking me, who have you come into agreement with? So I remember many years ago, before I became Catholic, I was getting ready one day, standing in my closet. And of course, I couldn't find anything to wear. And a family member came up to me and said, you're so big right now. Nothing fits you. You've outgrown all your clothes. You don't have anything that looks good Aww. on you. You're so ugly. You've gained so much weight. That's so no ugly. one wants to be around you. No one respects you. Your kids don't listen to you. They don't love you. They don't even like you. Now, I mean, this person went on and on and my eyes just welled up with tears. And you're probably thinking, well, my goodness, good night. Why didn't you just turn around and say, go away, shut up, stop talking to me. But the reason that I didn't is because those words were not foreign to me. As much as they hurt to hear spoken out loud, I had already agreed with them in my heart. They were speaking what they had heard me say, because what's in abundance of the heart comes out the mouth. As I started to cry, they said, this is what you're thinking in your mind, because this is what we hear you saying. You don't realize that you're saying it out loud, but you are. And that's how I knew what you were thinking. Stop 
believing the lies of the enemy. So I knew it had been, I knew, I knew it had been true. I knew it was true. I mean, I had started withdrawing. I had started not wanting to leave the house. I had started getting depressed and not, not even wanting to get dressed. I had come into agreement with the lies of the enemy. I had believed and agreed with the lie that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't matter. I started wearing fig leaves and those who knew, knew. I mean, we're going to hear lies everywhere we go, wow. right? I mean, you turn on the television set, the television will tell you a vision. Walking down the hallway at school, at the office. I mean, we're surrounded by lies. But those lies, how they can't hurt us unless we agree with them. And then we respond to them as if they were the truth. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's the way. Yesterday, we heard Jesus say, come to me. And over a dozen times in the Bible, Jesus says, follow me. In all our ways, we are to acknowledge him. And he's the one that makes our paths straight. We lean on him. We trust in him. Call to him and he will answer us and lead us on that narrow path that we talked about. Jesus is the truth. The enemy is the father of lies. I'm telling you, I used to have a friend. She would stomp her foot and say, the devil is a liar <laughs> because he is. <laughs> Jesus wants us to know the truth, to know mm -hmm. him who is full of grace and truth. And knowing the truth makes us free. And when we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's 1 John 5, 20. Okay, Jesus is the life. It just said he is the eternal life. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians 2, 20. And that is another one of my favorite scriptures. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life and to give it abundantly. Again, the enemy lies, but when we come into agreement with his lies, our actions will reflect what we believe. We start to wear fig leaves. Stacey, you've often said, and it resonates so loudly, I repeat it now myself, the Catholic Church is the fullness of the truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had truth as Protestants before we came into the yes. church. but We now have come into the fullness of the truth. And Mother Mary helps us in our search for the truth because she helps us draw closer to her son, Jesus, who is the truth. Okay, so here's the deal. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. I have come into agreement with the fullness 
of truth of the Catholic Church. And Mother Mary helped me in this journey. And because of this, I went through RCIA. I went through an annulment. I pray my rosary. I go to mass. I participate in the sacraments and I live a life that reflects what I believe to the best of my ability. Do I do it perfect all the time? Absolutely not. But I try because I want so badly, so desperately. No, you do. Someone looks at my life. I want them to know what I believe and who I am standing in agreement with. And I pray that I never wear those fig leaves again. And when I start to slip, when I need help, when I have one of those imperfect days, Mother Teresa tells us what to do. She says, if you ever feel distressed during your day, call upon Our Lady and just say this simple prayer. Mary, Mother of Jesus, please be a mother to me now. And Mother Teresa says that prayer has never failed her. Oh, I love that. <clears throat> and I remember when you told the story at our retreat up in Bangor, Maine, about how Mary became your spiritual mother. You had you had yes. tears throughout the room. <laughs> and people were people applauded after that after you finished <laughs> the story because they know they get it. They get it. Yes. Yes. It's beautiful. She, she is my spiritual mother and I am so blessed. She is such a gift, which is something for us to really think about, you know, during Advent and into mm -hmm. the Christmas season. Mm -hmm. She is the ultimate gift. And we even said um, at that retreat, one of the things that we looked up um, in tradition was from Lumen Gentium. Uh, that means light of the nations, that 1964 encyclical from Pope Pius VI, the Vatican II document. And it has chapter eight, a section on the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God and the mystery of Christ and the church. And, and one of the parts we talked about was how Mary gave life to the world. Yes. Um, and I just, I love, I love that part always. The Virgin Mary, who at the message of the angel received the word of God in her heart and in her body gave life to the world. That's what the encyclical says, is acknowledged and honored as being truly the mother of God, mother of the Redeemer. Yes, yes, yes. And I always think in that scripture you read, Stacey, the whole thing about the enmity between Satan and women. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's part of the reason we agonize so much. I mean, we give birth to these beautiful children and we spend our whole life wondering how we're going to be happy in heaven if they don't make it there too. Right. No, <laughs> you know, absolutely. it's like, and, and I do feel like I feel very attacked specifically by Satan because I'm a mother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our children are so dear to us that the most precious things that we have and of course you know that's the one thing that i worry the most about are my kids yes. yep we do well thank you for reading thank you for choosing to read the scripture in genesis on this day um and you know we talk about typology and how the old and the new go together as one centered on christ this today is a perfect example because mm -hmm. the reading that you read is is you know, when Eve became the mother of all the living and then the gospel is um, when the angel Gabriel comes and tells Mary, hail full of grace, the Lord is with you. 
Um, so it, it's front to end, you know, Christ is at the center, read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old. Yeah. I mean, we, like I said, we could talk all about these scriptures. <laughs> I know. So they're in there. Well, the catechism lesson today, not to run the needle across the record player, but <laughs> is on faith and science. I've been waiting for this day for so long. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. I was reading through the catechism like all 44 pages to get to this one. <laughs> this is my wheelhouse right here. Um, but uh, I do want to go through it because honestly, I didn't realize at first that there was a whole paragraph in the catechism about faith and science in the part of the catechism that's talking about what we believe when we pray the creed. And mm -hmm. so um, faith is faith and science is right under faith and understanding, faith and reason. Um, and we get to hear the church uh, profess that the church is not afraid of science and quote some of the, the church fathers. So let me read it. Faith and science. Though faith is above reason, and th that's for reasons we've been explaining about the certainty of faith, there can never be any real discrepancy between faith and reason. Since the same God who reveals mysteries and infuses faith, like we talked about before, the infusion of faith, has bestowed the light of reason on the human mind. God cannot deny himself, nor can truth ever contradict truth. Mm -hmm. And um, that actually that that is repeated and many the truth can't contradict truth is repeated in many encyclicals, but it comes from De Filius. Um, I don't remember the year right now, but it, it's actually a pretty old saying in the church and it, it got repeated a whole bunch. Um, and I, I repeat it all the time when I'm talking about faith in science. Uh, a lot of people challenge me on that. Well, what about this scientific conclusion? That seems to contradict faith, especially uh, in relation to Adam and Eve and evolution and the fossil record and genetics. And people want to challenge that and say evolution disproves Genesis and Genesis can't be true. Therefore, your God is not real. Um, the Bible is not true. I, I mean, I get I know that sounds simplistic to people who are um, familiar with these arguments, but I do get asked that quite a bit. And, and that's, that's one thing I say, truth can't contradict truth. God cannot deny himself. And they say, well, what about this scientific conclusion? What about this? What about evolution? My response is always, if it ever seems like faith and science or faith and reason contradict each other, if it ever seems like what we learn in the biology textbook contradicts what we read in Genesis, it's not that they actually contradict. It's that we don't know everything. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And that's true because anybody who knows anything about science knows everything we learn in science just points to more things that we don't know, which is exciting. I think it's exciting. Mm -hmm. um, but there's so much that we don't know. And Stacy, as you and I, who we both are lifelong, lifelong learners, we've, mm -hmm. we've learned that about ourselves from doing the Clifton Strengths yeah. um, assessment. Yeah. But we are, we like to learn things. And that's one of the things we both love. I know I'm saying this for you, but I know because I've heard you say it many times. One of the things we both love about the Catholic Church is that there's so much to learn. Like we will, it is literally like diving in. I used to picture myself jumping into the ocean and just swimming around and all these things we have to read, all this truth. But, mm -hmm. but it is like that. And, and this is really the truth. If you're not pushing yourself to learn more about what the church teaches, learn theology, learn the dense 
hard philosophical arguments, learn about ancient Greek philosophy and how it was purified in Christianity, learn about um, the catechism like we're reading right now, read encyclicals, read some of the great theologians, read some of the church fathers, read yeah. the Bible like Stacy tells you to every day, read the history of prayers. I mean, man, there is so much and every oh, single gosh. bit of it will enrich your life. It will make you more human. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I, that is, like I've said before, my happy place is just surrounded by books. And sometimes I sit there and I'm like, there's just not enough hours in the day to read everything I want to. <laughs> it's true. And I, I love taking classes because it forces me to read uh -huh. and write and do things. And I, I just, I get a thrill of it. And we're telling you that because that's kind of a theme of Stacy and Stacy. It's never too late to start learning more about what the church teaches. Never too late. I don't care if you're in your 90s. It's never too late. It will enrich your life. It will prepare you for a good death. It, it will it'll help mm -hmm. you make peace in this life. Hey, it'll probably save you time in purgatory. <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, but anyway. Okay, so let me finish reading this paragraph. Consequently, methodical research in all branches of knowledge, provided it is carried out in a truly scientific manner, and don't get me started, but let's say truly scientific manner, meaning, meaning we're being honest and searching for truth and respecting real objective data, um, and does not override moral laws. Also, again, don't get me started. So sci science is not morality. Science cannot override moral laws, and, and we should not assume that it can. It can ne science done properly can never conflict with the faith because the things of the world and the things of faith derive from the same God. I mean, duh, right? The humble and persevering investigator of the secrets of nature is being led, as it were, by the hand of God in spite of himself or herself, for it is God, the conserver of all things, who made them what they are. And that comes from Genesis. Um, uh, I'm not sure where that comes from. I have to look it up. It's the abbreviation G GS and I've read it many times. So I should know that. I just didn't know it off the top of my head, but this is, this is true. This is what happens. I've told students that I teach before. This is how you do science properly. What it says right there, the humble and persevering investigator of the secrets of nature is being led by the hand of God in spite of himself. And I pictured myself like back in the days when I was a chemist working in the lab, I wasn't religious, but I was humble because science kind of makes you that way. If you're an honest scientist, you will be humbled by the fact that you're, I mean, honestly, that's one thing that led me to Christ is um, you're humbled by the fact that you're trying to simulate nature and it's abundantly clear to you that you're trying to simulate a creator. And, mm. um, and it, it's humbling for that reason. But I look back at myself back then, Stacy, the, um, the arrogant 20 something year old working on her PhD in chemistry, thinking she was all that. When I was alone in the lab, I was pretty humbled by it um, and amazed by it. That was my happy place. And it really was as I persevered in doing the investigations that I was given to do about artificial photosynthesis and electron transfer, 
I was peering into the secrets of nature in a way that I knew nobody had ever done before me, which was exciting. And I do look back now and I was very much being led by the hand of God in spite of myself. That's why mm -hmm. I said in spite of himself or herself, in spite mm -hmm. of myself, um, for it was it was God who made all things. And that's why I say now um, people say, oh, that's so profound, but it's actually very simple. I say that now I got it from this passage. Science is the study of the handiwork of God, mm. period. And if you understand science that way, there's no conflict. And I, I've told that to so many students and so many students have gotten back to me and said that they became scientists because of that. Because when you understand as a Catholic that science is the study of the handiwork of God, you want to do it. <laughs> it's pretty cool when you think about it that way. Like God made this world and you're learning something about God. Um, maybe if you do new research and discover something nobody else ever has, you're learning something about God that nobody else ever has. And it's pretty cool. So um, go Catholic scientist all for you. <laughs> awesome. So, well, we hope you have a good um, solemnity of another big word of the yes. Feast of the Immaculate, Immaculate Conception. And don't forget to go to Mass. Anything else, Miss Stacy? I think that's it. We will see you tomorrow. I'm Stacy Farquharson. And I'm Stacy Tresenkos, the other one. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>If you are interested in bringing Stacy and Stacy to your parish or study group for a retreat or a talk, they would love to come liven things up and keep it real. Please see stacyandstacy.site for more information. <laughs>